I want to again welcome everybody and thank you for uh, participating with us. We are in the book of Matthew chapter 9. And now we are going to turn our attention to the gospel of the kingdom. Why, you might say, why in the light of all this upheaval in the world should we turn to the gospel? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ transcends calendar and crisis, natural disasters. It has outlasted nations and eras. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the singular greatest constant. It is indomitable, it is transcendent, it is powerful, and it is practical. So, Spirit of God, we welcome and reverence you now to come and speak to us uh, through the very scriptures that you have breathed out. Lord, let there come instruction and wisdom and insight today. Lord, would you fill us with 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 the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God so that we might know what is the hope to which we have been called, that we might know what is that incomparable, that magnificent riches, the inheritance you have for your saints, and that we might know what is that immeasurable, immeasurably great power you have toward us who believe. Come, Holy Spirit, upon us all, wherever we are gathered this morning, as we lean in to the Word of God together. Amen. Follow Me is the title of our study in the Gospel of Matthew. This is because the the book of Matthew calls the reader to follow Jesus, to be His disciple. The book of Matthew teaches us what it means to believe in and to be like Jesus. And particularly, particularly because of this morning's passage, this is the title of our series in Matthew. Follow me are the first words that Matthew, our author, these are the first words that he records himself hearing from Jesus. These are the words that changed his entire life in a matter of moments. Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. 
This passage this morning affirms several things to us. First of all, it affirms the call of Jesus. And it affirms how we respond to that call. It also affirms the nature of Jesus' mission. And therefore, it affirms the nature of the the commission. The nature of our commission. The nature of the commission of those who follow him. So first of all, it affirms to us Jesus' call. Verse 9 says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Who was this man, Matthew, and what was he doing? Well, he was a tax collector. Now, that, we, be careful with your hermeneutics here. This is, this, this, you should not pick up this identity as, and throw it at every IRS agent you know. <laughs> be careful with that. A tax collector had, it was a very specific job in first century Palestine, Judaism. Ultimately... Here's the deal. Ultimately, a tax collector was an operative of the Roman Empire. But he worked, Matthew would have worked more directly for Herod. Herod would have been the local authority, but Herod himself still accountable to Caesar. A tax collector, here's the rub. A tax collector was a Jewish person who collected taxes from other Jewish persons on behalf of non-Jewish persons. This was deplorable, abominable to the Jews. Jewish people were radically nationalistic. Radically so. And they believed that their only king was Yahweh. And so to pay taxes or to give homage to someone other than Yahweh was like blasphemy. They resented it to their core. (laughs) And to have one of their own do it for Caesar and to them was the lowest of low. No, you won't find in the Torah anything that lists tax collecting as sin. But it was astigmatism. It was embedded in their unwritten law that a tax collector was a sinner. A tax collector would have had the reputation of uh, just the worst kind. And what makes it worse is that historically, some of these tax collectors would collect more than was due. Uh, there's a few reasons for that. Some of these, um, some of these jobs were auctioned off, so you could you could you could pay, you know, to have this job, and then to 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 get to pay yourself back, you would collect more than what is due. Imagine, imagine, you know, I'll, you know, you guys have all done your, you know, you do taxes or have done them. There's a there's a couple two or three pages of paperwork. Imagine. Imagine a system of collecting taxes where there's virtually no paperwork. Virtually no way of keeping record, especially if most of your people that you're working with don't read or write. 
the capacity for corruption almost can't be measured. And that's the circumstance. They can't, if they were taken advantage of, how could they prove it? And when you feel injustice, what happens? So you add all that together. It's important that you feel how much uh, uh, antipathy (laughs) there was toward these people. And now let's just push our thumb down a little bit more. Where was his? He was in his booth (laughs) in Capernaum. The, The tax collector's booth in Capernaum was probably located just in the right spot. What spot's that, Dav? Well, probably just close enough to the seashore so that he could make sure to collect all of the customs and set taxes on everything coming up on the, the shore. Yes, close enough to the road to make sure people bringing in goods and services. Capernaum was a crossroads. So there would have been, he would have collected stuff from the, from the roads and stuff. <laughs> but did you hear where I said he was? Next to the... And who would have been his more frequent clients? Fishermen. You feel that? You feel the buildup of, there might be a problem soon. Who who has Jesus called to follow him? Fishermen. Fishermen that we know of from our Bible reading are all even-tempered, calm people. No one's more calm and even tempered, tempered than Peter. And James and John are so calm that they have a nickname, Sons of Thunder. That's what you call people who are just stoic and level-headed. So he has this tax, collector, tax collecting booth, and there he is. He's collecting goods and services and customs, and he's in his booth. Matthew would have been seen by his own people as a blaspheming traitor, a sinner of the, of the very worst kind. You see, so he's sitting in his booth, and the booth surrounds him becomes a frame, a definition of who he is. Most people, would, again, he would, have, he would have been seen by his people as a blaspheming, sinning traitor, and in fact, most people would have just rather not seen him at all. But then we come to verse 9. Jesus sees him. Jesus, as we've already read, Jesus sees him differently. The Lord saw him right in his booth. The Lord saw him in his corruption, in his isolation. The Lord saw him in his shame, in his anger, in his resentment and confusion and fear. Jesus saw Matthew in his booth, and he sees you in yours. He sees you in your circumstance. Matthew's booth did not prevent Jesus from seeing him, and neither does yours. Follow me, Jesus told him. Even the the syntax there. Follow me, Jesus told him. I don't mean to make too much about individual words all the time. But your Bible, if it does say, follow me, Jesus asked, you need to take your gentle sharpie and change that. 
And if you have a super paraphrase that said, that says, and Jesus said, please follow me. You need to take your Sharpie and scratch out the word please. Follow me. This is the call to become a disciple. To be, said, to be told to follow me, again, this is, not, this is not really an invitation so much as a demand. Uh, I used to, when I did youth conferences and stuff, I would promise kids, I'd say, look, I'll give anybody a hundred bucks if you, can, if you can find where Jesus said, please. Follow me is a command. It means that Jesus has called someone, but particularly here, it's called Matthew, to fo- follow me is, is, to, is, to, is a command to literally come after him, to learn from him, to imitate him, to replicate him. It, follow me in that, in, that, in that terminology as a disciplement. I want you to follow me so closely that eventually no one will be able to tell us apart. And this is the same call that Jesus extends to you and to me today. That by living in vital contact with the Holy Spirit, we would believe in and be like Jesus. That we would obey him and imitate him. Now you and I, just like we, we've, I'm thank God for this text, we still look at Jesus' works. And as we see what he did, we engage those with our imaginations and we say, yes, Lord, that's how you want me to live. And we, and we read his words and we say, yes, Lord, we hear you and we obey you. And this is, this is truth and this is how we are to govern our lives. And this is truth that you revealed to us. But even more, since Pentecost, Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit to be with us and to be in us so that we, you and I, we now follow Jesus by walking to or under the powerful influence of the Holy Spirit. If we read these words, follow me, and think, well, that sounds great, but we don't remember that, that what separates us from Matthew is that we're not sitting with the, the physical person of Jesus in front of us, but fortunately, Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go, because if I go, I will send you, alas parakletos, I will send you another helper who will be with you forever, an unlimited personal presence and a powerful presence, the Holy Spirit himself who is with us, and he now is the one that leads us and guides us and guides governs us and this and there is no less a personal promise we follow the leading of the spirit himself Romans chapter 8 verse 4 we Paul says we walk after or we walk we walk according to the spirit Romans 8:14 for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God Galatians 5.16, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. How do we follow? One step at a time. Jesus says, follow me. What a remarkable and priceless privilege to be chosen. I think I've told you this before that most of the time, rabbis in first century Judaism, Palestine, uh, they didn't uh, choose their disciples. Most of the time, there was the uh, disciples applied or sought 
to follow a rabbi. Only the most radical and very rare. It was radical and rare for a rabbi to choose disciples. But this is why later in the very book of John, Jesus will remind his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You are the ones he chose. Can you imagine? Scholars think, and I agree with them, that although these are the first words that Matthew records Jesus speaking directly to him, it is most likely that this is not the first time Matthew has heard Jesus speak. It is most likely very much not the first thing he's heard or seen from Jesus. By this time, there would have been some considerable activity and teaching from Jesus. Jesus would have been doing some remarkable things. And who Jesus was and the, the affection, the fervor, the attention around him, the, the intrigue was growing. And yet, here's Matthew in his booth. Surrounded by his own shame, his own stigmatism. Is it possible that you could identify with the feeling of Matthew saying something like, if only, if only I could get out of here, if only I weren't in this booth, if only he could see me, if only, if only there was hope, if only I could be one of those who would follow him. Can you imagine the day when, as Jesus is about to pass by that booth, he stops, looks, and chooses him? Isn't it amazing that today we still, there just seems to be this idea that we've got to, We've got, to, we've got to beg people to follow Jesus. Try to incentivize it. When I was a kid at Bible camp, it was fine. It was just a silly song, but we used to sing a song, Will You, Won't You, Ain't You Gonna. Oh, come on. Will you, won't you, ain't you gonna. If I coax you, what you wanna. Oh, come on, you tell you, why don't you wanna talk about Jesus? And it was fine. But the idea is that we're not begging Jesus, Jesus is pursuing us. And Jesus is calling and commanding people to follow him. And to do so is the greatest privilege and wonder in eternity. Have you considered how incredible it is that he has chosen you? Wherever you are today, whatever room you're in, whatever device you're watching with, have you considered how incredible it is that Jesus has chosen you? How do you know that he has? You know, if you've heard the call to follow him, he's chosen you. Or if you're hearing it right now, he's chosen you. He's calling you right now. To press this further, I want you to consider this. Jesus called Matthew right where he was. But he did not call him to stay the way he was. Right into his right in his booth. He didn't Jesus didn't wait till Matthew got out of his booth and resigned the tax collecting and all that stuff and then said, Well, I'm gonna give you, you know, ninety days probation. And then follow me. Nope. Right where he was, right in the middle of his booth. 
he calls him. Right where he was, he called him. But he, didn't, he called him right where he was, but he did not call him to stay the way he was. Matthew got up and followed him. The way that he records his own following of Jesus, there's, there's similar language here. The language sounds familiar. That, that immediately the leprosy was, was healed. It sounds, remember that? Immediately the leprosy was healed. Or, or we remember these words, that moment the centurion servant was made well. Or we remember, uh, as soon as he touched her, the fever left her. Or when he stood up and spoke, the wind and the waves were completely calm. Or, or when he spoke to the demons, he said to them, go, and they came out. Or to the paralyzed man, he said, get up, and the man got up. And he says to Matthew, follow me, and Matthew obeyed. He left his booth. He left his money. He left his lifestyle. He left his past. He left his stigmatism. He left his partnership with the empire. He left everything that used to define him. And our response to Jesus must be the same. Our response to Jesus is complete. Our response to Jesus is instant. It happens the very first step. When we get up and start, that's our response to Jesus. But our response to Jesus isn't just instant, it is constant. It happens with every step. It happens with the first step, and it continues with every step. This is how Jesus calls us, and this is how we respond. Our response to Jesus should be like an echo. The command is uttered once, but the, and the obedience happens right away and then keeps happening over and over again. That's the call of Jesus and our, and our response to it. Matthew continues, and we, we learn something more about Jesus' mission. In verse 10, he, all of a sudden we find ourselves having dinner. <laughs> While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Friends, I want you to see something, that Jesus' call is a call to community. It's a call to connection. It is not just a philosophy that we study. It is a way of life that is shared together with others. To share a meal together is one of the most human things that we can do. Being together, sharing a meal together, has always been fundamental to the community of faith. Community is especially worth emphasizing when there is Today, such worry and warning. For some, isolation is worse than the threat of disease. So in the midst of very reasonable cautions to protect against and to prevent, uh, prevent, you know, of course, the spread of disease, remember to be human, friends. Remember to practice the values of a community of faith. And furthermore, let me say this. When this threat has eased, I want to strongly, in the strongest language possible, urge everyone to make gathering and connecting a sacred honor, duty, and privilege. I hope that we will forever 
Think twice and then think again about just skipping church. In first century Palestine, sharing a meal together, why Jesus was having a dinner with these tax collectors and sinners. Sharing, sharing a meal together, <coughs> coffee in the wrong spot. <coughs> sharing a meal together solidified social bonds. It was a big deal. It indicated a close relationship. It indicated mutual approval. Sharing a meal together implied deep unity and friendship and fellowship and close association. And, and so think about how important, think about the, the, what sharing a meal meant. And now, real quick, think about the fact that what G, one of the ordinances, one of the, one of the, we might call them sacraments that Jesus left behind for us as a people was the Lord's table that we literally gather together and share in communion with each other and with the Lord. What's that mean when we're having, when we celebrate communion? Among other things, it is Jesus affirming to us our close relationship with him and with one another. This is another reason why church meals together historically have been so powerful and important. But, In this moment, (laughs) having a meal together, it created a little bit of problem. Jesus is there, and Matthew appears to have invited others to the table as well. The word got out that what we all have in common is our need for mercy and hope. And they came to Jesus to find both. And he was having dinner with them. (laughs) And then verse 11 says, When the Pharisees saw this, They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Quick question. You might wonder this. How is it that the Pharisees saw this? I don't. We, we're not told. It, it, when we read the text, it looks like they were having perhaps dinner out in the open and the Pharisees sort of walked by and looked down their noses at them. That's possible in Capernaum, you know, with the, the way that it was, the way that people ate. They could have been eating in a courtyard. They could have been together. It's po- have you ever heard people, a group of people having dinner together? Is it often pretty quiet? What if they're a little rough around the edges? It can be the right. Could, there could be some added volume there. There could have been any number of reasons why there could have been some commotion happening. And especially, have you ever heard people? Hell, have you ever heard? What about people who are discovering mercy and hope for the first time? There may have been some considerable, considerable jocular activity at the table. It could have also been that the Pharisees just heard about it later, and and they come up and ask. But regardless of when, it, it's it, look at this. Would the Pharisees see it, and who do they ask about it? They ask the disciples, not Jesus. They don't say, hey, Jesus, what's up? They ask the disciples about it. The motive here, friends, wasn't really to get answers, but to sow discord. They come to his disciples, and they say, you see what your master's doing? You see what he's doing? He's eating with... They wanted to, they wanted to throw shade and shame. But what does Jesus do? He steps in and answers. Now, this isn't the point of the passage, but it's here, so we shall see it. People come to the disciples to throw shade at Jesus, to convince them they shouldn't follow him, and Jesus steps in front of them to answer. You will never have to defend Jesus. 
You are not his attorney. You are his disciple. You are his witness. If people don't like Jesus, rest assured they will take it up with him. Your job is to follow him. So put down your swords, put down your fists, put down everything else. Follow Jesus. Jesus can take care of himself. What did they ask? What did they ask about? They said they, they, they were offended at, what, at the appearance of Jesus associating with those that they deemed unworthy. They saw that to be with those people was to show them some value. Who were these people, these tax collectors and sinners? These were people that, that, according to the Pharisees, had not lived up to the standards of the law or even more likely had not, had not kept up with the tradition of the elders. We know that by this time, the tradition of the elders was, was quite burdensome and nearly impossible to keep track of, and there was a whole swath of the population that just gave up. That the challenge of meeting every demand was too much, and so they just gave up. But in Jesus, they find mercy and hope. So here they are. And how does Jesus answer these Pharisees? Remember, we always pay attention to what happens last, right? We always pay attention to the dialogue, right? So here's the intent. Here's what Matthew wants us to hear. How does Jesus answer these people? He answers them three times, essentially three things Jesus says. And this is the the summary of Jesus' mission and what informs our commission. Are you ready? First, he answers by by citing a rabbinic saying. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. In other words, where else would a physician be but with those who need healing? Then he quotes one of the book of 12. He quotes Hosea. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. Now, he says, go and learn what this means. Now, you and I hear that, and we think, well, that's interesting. That's a nice thing to say. Remember last week when I said Jesus was a savage? (laughs) To say, go and learn what this means, is what a rabbi would say as he was teaching one of his disciples. And it's not condescending, but it's very uh, professorial. So these experts come to him to challenge him, and he (laughs) responds, He responds by saying, go and learn what this means. Oh, Jesus. If I were one of his disciples, I'd be like, oh. (laughs) If you want some cream with that burn. I mean, that's how I might have responded. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, that doesn't mean, especially in the context of Hosea, that the Lord, was, the Lord didn't even like sacrifice. But it's a way of saying that, that while sacrifice is important and has its place, you need to understand that the purpose of sacrifice is so that you really understand and appreciate mercy. Sacrifice was meant to teach us to appreciate mercy, not to withhold it. Jesus was saying, I came to give mercy, not to require payment. Finally, Jesus answers by stating his mission directly. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, who is he talking to and who is he talking about? 
He's talking to these Pharisees about the people at the table behind him. He is not, no, it's, it's important that we don't hear this as Jesus saying, oh, those who are righteous are fine, they don't need me. <laughs> That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying, I didn't come to congratulate the self-righteous. I came to rescue those who know their need for mercy. Those invited to dinner knew their need for mercy. Those, not, those who weren't invited didn't think they needed it. So then, on this journey that Matthew records for us, records for us from sinner to disciple, what do we learn about the call of Jesus? We said that these things, that this passage affirms several things to us. So let's go back and look. What do we learn about the call of Jesus? He sees us. He sees us from where we are. And he calls us from where we are. But not to stay where we are. Again, he sees you and he calls you from there, but not to stay there. What do we learn about how we respond to the call of Jesus? We respond to the call of Jesus totally. We respond to the call of Jesus continually. And we respond together. What do we learn about the mission of Jesus from this passage? Well, the nature of Jesus' mission is this. He came to cure the sick. He came to offer mercy. And he came to call and to save sinners so that they would stop being sinners and start being disciples. Therefore, what do we learn about our commission? How can we believe and be like? How can we obey and imitate Jesus today? We are agents of healing. We are ambassadors of mercy. We are now ministers of reconciliation. It is our job, our opportunity to invite others to the table. It's now our job to invite others to the table. Paul describes this in hindsight now. He's looking, he, he's telling us what this looks like for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's what our commission looks like as Paul describes it. Verse 11, since then we know what it means to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men to follow Jesus. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We, don't, we do not regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Say it again. We don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view. What's that mean compared to our text today? We don't look at anybody through the lens of their booth. We don't define people by their booths. But rather, we see people just on behind enemy lines. Because if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone and the new is here. 
Verses 18 through 20, Paul says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And here's the appeal. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul said to his churches, follow me as I follow Christ. We are all following Christ together by the power of the Spirit inviting other people to the table with us. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. I'm going to ask us to pray together as we close this morning. Let's go to that last slide and just click all the way through it. Leave it there. Oh, I'm sorry. Not the very last slide. The second to the last slide, Faith. Thank you so much. Here's some responses that I'd like to do to, to, to challenge you with as we close this morning. Wherever you are, think right now, reflect, consider the call of Jesus in your response, will you? Have you heard his call today? You might have uh, been scrolling through social media and just found us right now even. I want to tell you that Jesus sees you wherever you are, and he has called you to follow him. Have you heard his call? Do you know, Christian, that you didn't choose him, that he chose you? You are not the the scrawny kid in junior high that no one wants to choose to be on the basketball team. Jesus saw you and chose you specifically. It was his idea. You are his idea. Your response is to follow. How are you following him? Is there anything that you need to leave behind today to follow Jesus? You know, Matthew didn't really quick grab a bunch of memorabilia from his booth to follow Jesus. Didn't didn't bring some souvenirs from his former life. Is there anything that you're carrying today that hinders you fervently, ardently following Jesus? Consider the mission of Jesus and our commission. Church of Jesus Christ, saints of God, how are you, how are we today imitating, how are we continuing the mission of Jesus? How will you today invite other people to the table of mercy Let's stand together as we close, shall we? Friend, if you today are one of those that need to come to the table of mercy and hope, we want to pray with you and for you. Faith, let's go to that last slide. Wherever you are today, if you, if you want to contact us the, online or even there's a number that you can call, if you have questions or you want someone to pray with you, we want to make that opportunity available for you. We're going to close now in prayer, and my musicians are just going to play for a few more moments and give everyone listening, everyone online, 
some, some extended opportunity to reflect. If you're at home right now with your family or with a friend or even by yourself, take a few moments before you, I know you're thinking, I'm going to click and just keep scrolling. Take a few moments now and consider how you are responding to Jesus and how, are you, and how you are partnering with his commission to invite others to the table of mercy and hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you in Jesus' name that you have called us right where we are, but not to stay where we are. And I thank you, Lord, for giving us the privilege and the responsibility of inviting others to the table with us. Thank you that we can follow you. Grant us today the power of your spirit to follow you so closely that it becomes impossible to tell us apart. We give you thanks today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, if you need to slip out, the Lord bless you. We encourage you to do so lovingly and respectfully. We're going to continue to have the music play.